Hello, I'm TJ, and welcome to my garden. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about gardening with kids, which is what I do for a living currently. <laughs> it's also something I will be doing in my personal life. Uh, my daughter has helped a little in the garden. Uh, kind of it's shake and bake, and she helped. Uh, she's not, she's two, so she isn't able to do that much in the garden yet. But as she gets older, we'll be doing more gardening together. But I do uh, work with children in gardening, specifically for a living, as I mentioned in the last episode. So this is a field I know a thing or two about. Uh, if I seem distracted occasionally, it's because the backyard has become a flutter of activity suddenly. <laughs> we have several different uh, hummingbirds vying for control of the feeder. Uh, there we go. One of the males just ran off another one. And the sort of bachelor wasps are uh, crawling around through the lawn looking for food. Uh, fun fact, at the end of the year, around this time in the fall, when you start seeing all the wa paper wasps in your lawn and in and around, and when, when they get a little more aggressive and are more likely to sting, it's actually because they've all been kicked out of their home. <laughs> wasps have a weird sort of social structure where only the queen and the young uh, stay over winter in the nest. All the adult wasps that have been working all year, they're just sort of kicked out to go live out what remains of their life and die before winter. So they're out kind of on their own, hungry, and I don't know if they can be afraid with their t <laughs> with with such a, a small nervous system, but they're definitely not happy. Um, and so that's why you get more of the aggression. It's more of an insecurity thing. They don't have access to all the stuff they have access to when they were part of a colony. So they're all just individuals trying to survive for what they what scraps they can before uh, winter. So that's why the fall can be such a dangerous time with wasps. Anyway, sorry for the sidetrack there. It's just something that came to mind as I was watching these guys crawl in and out of my lawn looking for insects and stuff on the soil level. So, gardening with kids. Um, this could honestly be an entire series of podcasts and probably will be in the future because the problems and solutions involved in gardening with children vary a lot based on their age group. Uh, can vary a little based on gender. Some kids, you know, some girls don't like icky things, but hey, some boys don't like icky things either. So that can vary a lot based on the individual. Um, but it's, it's largely an age group thing. And the biggest one thing I've noticed is that, uh, the younger the kids are, the more interested they may be in getting out there, getting in the dirt, you know, uh, finding out about bugs and plants and all that, but the less attention they can really give it. Um, you will get very active and excited weeding for about five minutes. And then they are wandering off and finding something else to do or, deciding they're bored or wanting to go in and play their video game or whatever. Um, with older kids, there's a lot of disinterest and the disinterest can be worse if it's a group of older kids. Cause they, you know, it's, I, I didn't even get this when I was a teenager, how it feels like it's, it's some kind of crime against your friends. If you actually have an interest or do something and you have to always be bored with everything. Um, I've never heard people say I'm bored more than when I work with teenagers, but teenagers, when you can get them engaged, can garden like they're almost you know they're practically adults they can go out there and they can actually work in a yard for a while it's just getting that interest and getting them past the hump of having to look cool in front of their friends and you everything else but they, they they can do the work it's just getting them interested in the work most of them are too interested in you know their day-to-day -day. They're, they're like basically just like adults in that respect you know they have lives and 
being told to come out and garden for two hours when they had other plans or other things, that can be hard. Um, so you have to really get them to want to garden, and then they'll make that the thing they plan to do. And that's great. So I want to talk a little bit about some solutions to both of these problems um, and some other sort of details about gardening. Uh, as I said in the last episode, I'm going to be working on the website uh, over the last next you know few weeks to try and get more resources on there. And there are going to be some more resources for kids especially. So keep an eye on that. Um, I have a little bit of a bonus in that. Uh, my, I have a daughter and my girlfriend, who is my daughter's mother, uh, she is a bit of an artist. She has her, uh, if you go to sarahsrealm.com, she actually does art commissions. Like she is an artist. Um, she works as a part-time graphic designer right now actually. And she really loves kids' stuff. So um, building some you know, resources, especially for younger kids, will be kind of easy going forward because I can always tap her for help with different projects. Um, but yeah, basically some of the big strategies for gardening with kids. Uh, the first thing you got to do is help them. Well, you know, I think I talked about this last episode a little bit. Plant blindness. Um, people do not see the forest for the trees. People don't, you know, humans generally, we actually have a bias against noticing plants in the same way we notice animals. Uh, animals are visually appealing. They're attractive to us. They move around. They interest us. They fascinate us. That's because animals can be dangerous very quickly. Plants tend not to be. Um, you tend to have to be crawling on a plant or doing something with a plant or eating a plant for it to really hurt you. But because insects and bugs and, uh, mammals and reptiles because they all move they can be an imminent threat and so our brains are programmed to watch out for them so that's why i get a little distracted when i'm recording out in the backyard because every time a hummingbird flies by and then another hummingbird dive bombs them as is probably about to there we go uh then the battle between the two as they sort of face off is very interesting to my little mammal brain because movement is very interesting to my little mammal brain and getting kids to develop any serious fascination with plants takes a little work. Uh, the biggest thing is we don't, and this kind of goes for the human race in general, we don't intrinsically see plants as alive in the same way we see moving things. Um, historically speaking, humans did not consider plants to be living things. Uh, and then as, as our definition of what was alive sort of expanded as we began to understand biology and chemistry, we began to find out that they are, in fact, living things just like us. They breathe, they eat, they grow, they just do a whole lot of other things that we don't do, and they don't move a lot while they do it. Um, so developing an interest in plants is the first hurdle. Part of this can be sort of cheated in, <laughs> because the one thing almost all plants do is interact with animals of some form or another. A lot of times insects, sometimes birds. But if you get kids, say, to come out to the garden to do a little bird watching, like the aforementioned hummingbirds, which is obviously not an option outside of the Americas, uh, but other birds as well. You know, you got jays, you have uh, ravens, well, corvids in general, um, corvids being ravens, jays, uh, crows, that whole family. They're incredibly fascinating birds to watch because they're quite intelligent. Uh, same thing with parrots, if you happen to live somewhere that has a lot of parrots. We do have quite a bit of parrots here, although they are a... Uh, green parakeet that is actually not native. They, they were inadvertently released. We also have wild populations of cockatiels in some parts of California. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, if you have native parrots, even if you have non-native parrots, having kids come out to see the wildlife interacting with the plants uh, can be a first step to getting them more interested in those plants. Uh, honeybees are ob an obvious sort of media darling that can get their attention. Um, and especially what's really great there is not only, I mean, you could do a honeybee hive <laughs> that can have its own set of risks because bees, people are always afraid of being stung by bees. By and large, bees are not that aggressive. They get more aggressive when you get closer to the hive. So even though you're not likely to get stung by bees in your garden, although it does happen, unless you attack them first, uh, once you have a hive in the mix, that sort of changes. Um, a safer kind of hive to have around is actually bumblebees. Uh, bumblebee hives are incredibly non-aggressive and they actually use those in uh, larger polytunnels. So people will be working in these enclosed tunnels over the crops and they will have a bumblebee hive and they're pollinating at the same time and it's relatively safe to do that. So bumblebees, uh, you can get, there are several, I'll actually post um, probably some links in the show notes. There are a couple places where you can get native bees and native bees are way better. Um, native bees, you don't get honey but they are better pollinators by and large and their life cycles are really convenient um, at least the ones that you usually can buy mail order because they you you get them in a little pupa and you put that in a hole right literally just a hole um you, you, you there are certain different when you buy them there'll be directions for what you can use for nests but you basically put them in one of those nests it can be simple as holes drilled into wood it can be depending on the species it can be um cart cardboard like toilet paper rolls and stuff they use too so any of those things you can put them in there and then when they wake up you know at the beginning of the season they go out and start working um, and so it's a really great way to get a lot of really interesting native bees right out there in front of the kids they can handle them they can work with them get them started with that and then they sort of take care of themselves in the ecosystem around your house you don't have to worry about a big nest you don't have to worry about a lot of aggressive bees that might sting somebody um, so that's definitely a great way to pull kids in. Also, butterflies. Uh, raising butterflies is becoming more and more of a thing. There are a lot of supplies out there. You can get the big uh, net houses that you can actually raise butterfly larvae in, and then, you know, the caterpillars. And then uh, when they pupate, when they become butterflies, you can take all that off and release them into the wild. Uh, a lot of people do that. Actually, if you are a follower on Instagram of Frau Zinni, I know she's pretty popular, uh, she does a lot of stuff with butterflies in her garden with raising butterflies and protecting pupas, that sort of thing. And if you go to her Instagram or her Twitter, um, I'll post links. She's got stuff on that as well. So definitely uh, insects and birds can get kids in the garden. Food can be a big motivator. Uh, grow. If you do vegetable gardening, you have a much easier job of getting kids out to the garden. Uh, there is a bit of a hurdle, which is some kids kind of grossed out by the idea of just pulling up a plant and eating it. Um, I actually, the, when I first started at my current job, I did have a kid who, when I offered him some food out of the garden, he said, ew, food comes from the grocery store. I'm actually surprised somebody literally said that, but that is how this kid thought because that's his, you know, his experience with the world is you get food from a grocery store. You don't pull it out of the ground. And so you kind of kill two birds with one stone when you, uh, vegetable garden with kids because on the one hand well three birds actually because on the one hand you get them out there gardening get them active you know physical activity you help break down 
that understanding. So they know where food actually comes from. You know, they know it came from a farm and then went to that grocery store. Um, and of course, three, in my experience, once kids start growing vegetables, they will eat more vegetables, especially if you let them grow some of the more interesting heirlooms or uh, Asian greens or other weird sort of varieties you don't usually see on the dinner plate here in the U.S. Once they've taken an active role in gardening and grown them, um, then they are much more appealing to them as a food item, at least in my experience. Uh, you can also, one way to get past the short attention span of younger kids is younger kids love competing, right? If you've ever seen a couple of kids together, they will come up with the weirdest competitions you've ever heard of. And so if you can get them out in the garden, let's say, you know, in the last episode, I said, I think I said something about the fact that I've had a squash bug problem. Um, Tell the kids who can squeeze the most egg clusters, right? Who can who can find the most egg clusters and, and destroy them? Um, you will have a bed that is relatively free of squash bugs. You might have to give out a couple of prizes, but you can you can actually get a lot more gardening in with kids if they see certain parts of it as a little sort of a friendly competition, but still competitive. Um, it's a great way to get them active in there, and especially if you leave ways for them to track their progress you know, track the progress of each other, sort of see how they stand and, you know, so they can feel need to improve sometimes and maybe do a little more activities out there. Um, and then uh, another thing too, though, is you also got to make sure there's some easy wins out there for them. Uh, gardening can require quite a bit of patience. In fact, it usually does. Uh, there are some plants where you will grow them for years before they flower. And there's uh, some vegetables, right, that you plant and uh, especially perennial vegetables are like this. You can't harvest them the first year. You have to harvest them the second or third or even in some cases the fourth year. So plants can require patience, but radishes don't. Radishes are done within a month. <laughs> you know, I, I've had radishes done as, as early as a month, even though usually it does take another week or so after a month. But radishes are very fast and you can eat them fresh and they're kind of peppery and kind of spicy and kind of fun to eat. So uh, grow radishes. We grow a lot of radishes at the garden I'm at. I plant them almost every time I start a new group of kids because within five weeks or so, they can pick radishes and eat them. And that's not true of all the plants I plant. A lot of times they're planting plants that the summer kids will be enjoying after the school year's over. And then the summer kids are planting things that the school year kids will be enjoying after the summer's over. But with radishes, they plant it five weeks later, they're pulling it and enjoying it. And they feel a sense of accomplishment. So definitely, um, that's another really big tip with gardening with kids is give them those easy wins. And just have realistic expectations. The kids are not going to do the majority of the weeding. They're not going to do the majority of watering or tending plants. Um, don't make it a responsibility issue to force them to do it, unless it's older kids. As kids get older, if they are really interested in gardening and they want the garden, then yeah, they need to take care of that. But with younger kids... Once you get them out there and you get them going, just expect they're going to do maybe 10 to 20% of the weeding. You're doing the other 80 or 90. Um, but it is worth it because that 10 to 20% you get to do with them is really enjoyable. And quite frankly, I can think of worse ways to spend my time than popping on my headphones, listening to some music or a podcast or an ebook, and going to town on some weeds. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to spend your time. Um, a big thing, though, to focus on with kids, this is going to 
going to kind of wrap up the episode. I'll talk more about working with kids in the next one because the next one's about school gardens. That's also going to cover some logistical issues too, so it won't just be about kids. But anyway, um, the bigger, con- biggest concerns you always want to be aware of, and if you're a parent, you're always aware of these anyway, sharp objects, chemicals, potentially dangerous plants. Um, you have to be aware of those, and you have to make your garden in such a way that only appropriate activities will be required right uh, by the kids so don't plant anything that needs a lot of pruning if you have very small kids they won't be able to handle any of it you'll be left with all that pruning with older kids you can give them you know a, a pair of secateurs and kind of let them do their own thing as they get older once you're comfortable with them using them but with really young kids you just got to kind of garden around those limitations um, generally speaking if you're gardening with kids you really shouldn't be using too many uh, noxious chemicals, right? Uh, pesticides, especially any pesticide targeting mammals, you should really avoid. Generally speaking, if you're gardening with kids, this isn't a farming situation. Nobody's going to starve if the tomatoes don't make it. You really should uh, sort of hold back on using anything too aggressive, right? Uh, you know, basic stuff, squish bugs you don't like, encourage beneficials, use row covers to prevent uh, certain plants from getting bugs, you know, like squash bugs, for instance, cover your squash plants with a floating, floating roll cover so the squash bugs can't get to them in the first place. Um, anything that's going to be eaten up by birds, you know, use bird netting. Just uh, keep away from the chemicals as much as possible when gardening with kids. And quite frankly, unless you are in a production environment, there should rarely be a situation where you absolutely have to use a chemical. And keep, I, I know I'm using chemicals in the way that a lot of people do when they say, you know, chemicals are evil or whatever. Obviously, Talk to a chemist. Everything's a chemical. But I'm, I'm talking specifically about synthetic chemicals, petrochemicals, but also even organic chemicals. I mean, there are really strong vinegar solutions used in organic gardening as a herbicide. Those can be toxic to people as well. Uh, diatomaceous earth is usually pretty harmless to people uh, unless it's breathed in. So you do have to be careful when you're breathing around it, when you're dusting something. Just make sure that's, a lot of that isn't getting in your lungs. But that's relatively harmless. But most of the time, you should be able to avoid that as well. So I, I'm not just talking like evil chemicals. I'm talking chemicals in general, even organic pesticides and herbicides. You should really be able to, for the most part, avoid when gardening with kids. Uh, if you absolutely have to use it, it goes back to that appropriateness thing. Uh, as far as application, if you have older kids that you're comfortable with doing it, allow them to apply under supervision. Younger kids, stay away from it. Just don't do it. If a plant dies, it dies. It's better than, you know, having a sick kid or, or worse. So, um, so that's my main tip there. I just wanted to kind of go over safety a little bit before I sort of, uh, wrap things up. Also always be aware of what insects may be there right now. For instance, my lawn is full of paper wasps who are currently probably eating bugs. I don't like in my lawn. I'm hoping, um, so not that big a deal, but, uh, one did, I don't know if it was a paper wasp specifically cause I, I didn't actually watch it happen, but something stung my dog the other day. She got a swollen nose. It, it, it went back down. She's fine now, but you got to be aware of that spiders, uh, black widows, brown recluse, things like that. Um, just always basically make sure you scout the area before gardening with kids there. It's always a good tip. So that wraps it up for the Gardening with Kids episode. I'm sure there will be subsequent episodes where I go into more detail about specific things. In fact, there, I know there will be at least one because next episode we're going to cover school gardens. Logistics, why they fail, how to keep them from failing, that sort of thing. So 
go ahead and go to the website. Like I said in the last episode, if you have any questions, any concerns, if you want to get involved in gardening, school gardening, community gardening, reach out to me. I'm trying to build up some kind of like a support network, I guess you might call it. And I will definitely be putting more and more resources on the website for gardening with kids, school gardening, and community gardening. So definitely reach out. Go to tjsgarden.com. You can subscribe at podcast.tjsgarden.com. And please tell your friends. Have a great day and enjoy your garden. Bye.